Pakistan has been the country on my heart. I'm glad. God loves all the nations, every culture, language, and race. And you know, this group really spoke to my heart because the scriptures are beautiful, uh, lady. Uh, I love the way they they work hard to try to get pictures of people from the different people group. And here, here's a picture of her in that very unique dress. And they are pronounced. It's K-U-M-H-A-R. I really don't know how it's pronounced. Kumhar. Doesn't that sound right? Kumhar people. And one of the things that really strikes me about these people because of reading the Bible is that traditionally this people group, another one that's really large, how about 3.7 million? Is that a lot? 3.7 million Kumhars. There's never been a single believer ever among those people, much less a church. And the one occupation that has defined their life for centuries, it's really right out of the Bible. What they have always done is they are potters. They are potters, and even to this day now, that's all they're doing is selling the different wares uh, that they make with their hands. They're great, well-known, renowned, gifted potters. <laughs> and so they're just making vessels with their hands and then going around in different places in Pakistan and selling them. And 3.7 million, uh, and uh, they do say that they're really kind of a difference in the culture, uh, uh, and this, I guess, could happen anywhere, is the, the, the local Pakistani Kumhars uh, versus the ones that have migrated from India. And so there's a little bit of a tension between the group, you know, that you're, you know, you're the local and you're the immigrant. And we can't imagine that, can we? But they're all Muslims, 3.7 million in a closed country. Uh, it takes that people are trying to come up with creative, Internet resources. It will take creativity to reach the Kumhar in Pakistan. Perhaps outsiders can have contact with them by purchasing their pots and produce. They do some have Internet access and pray that the Lord would enable them to get access to the Jesus film and to parts of the Bible uh, in their particular language, which is Punjabi. They are in the northern part and they speak Punjabi. Pray God will give them dreams and visions leading them to salvation and abundant life. Pray for materials on the Internet to lead them to Christ. Pray for entire Kumhar families and communities to hear and respond to perfect Jesus. Amen. Acts 16.9, during the night, Paul had a vision, a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here and help us, the vision said. So maybe somebody would pray for the 3.7 million uh, Muslim Kumhars in Pakistan, these potters. We thank the Lord for bringing Kumhar people to our attention. Hmm. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Yes, Lohars. Yes. Despite the fact that we have all the, the different professions and the ways of life, hmm. uh, 
truly been a survivor of the Holocaust. Mm, yes. Uh, when I, I pray for this so much because, you know, that we are separated. Mm. Uh, right now, don't have uh, your word to influence. Mm. And the way uh, Brian has already said, I, I pray for uh, your dreams. Yes, you know. Uh, the, the influence of mm. anything like the Jesus film or anything yes, else. Yes, amen. Yes. To really come forth, Lord, that we know that you can make that happen. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Look up to you, Lord, and ask you to bring about all of us that have been my people. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Punjabi. Punjabi. So invite the young ones, the young and growing ones. So, um, so we will. I'm going to tell you a story again that you may remember. I've spoken it in the past, but it's actually a very unique and distinct purpose I'm doing this for John, Mark, and Allison, and actually for all of us. Um, if you asked me, and this would actually be a really good question, yeah, if there was one thing I could pray for John, Mark, and Allison, what would I pray? And gosh, wouldn't that be hard if you could think of just one thing you could pray for them? But I tell you what, I can think of one thing that would have a more powerful effect on their life, I think, than anything else. And so I'm actually tell you a story about that to kind of help explain that, all right? This is actually a story about a guy from the same country that Pastor Joseph's from, Kenya and the same name as Pastor Joseph, Joseph. Uh, Michael Card is probably the first person that really made this story known well to people in the West because he has shared it in many of his concerts. And this man was a Maasai warrior. That's actually the tribe. I actually asked Pastor Joseph the other day, and shame on me for not even being able to say, he was telling me specifically about his tribe. Oh, yeah, I did remember. Hallelujah, the Lord just brought that back to my mind. How could God have done that, despite my ignorance? The Kissy people. So Pastor Joseph is a member of the K-I-S-S-I, the Kissy tribe. Uh, he was saying how all the Kissy people from this area had made a covenant together. Isn't that amazing? And they pay, I forget what it is, per year, uh, per month. It's not that much, was it, Philip? Yes, and so they pay a certain amount per year. It's not a high amount. And they put... Yeah, no, but he says they pay the money to put it in the pot. Yeah, yes. And so then what happens is uh, when one of them dies, the money is available to uh, send them back to Kenya in terms of burial things. Well, anyway, this man was a Maasai warrior in Kenya. His name was Joseph, and he became a believer in Christ and was so excited about that, he came back to his village to tell people about the love of Christ. Do you remember what they did to him? When I told that story in the past, they beat him. They beat him to a pulp. They actually used barbed wire and beat him to a pulp. And uh, he was obviously severely wounded, severely beaten up. And they assumed that he wouldn't come back. <laughs> but uh, after being thrown out of town, he did wait a period of time. It obviously took him time to recover, uh, to get physical health and strength enough. And what do you think he did? He went back. I don't know that I would have gone back. But he went back a second time, and they did the same thing again with more severity. 
uh, and it took him a long time to recover, which he did, and then he went back a third time, if you can imagine that. And the third time, he actually says when he tells the story that he thought for sure he was going to die because they were beating the life out of him, literally. But he said that literally the last thing he could remember, if you can imagine this, he said, the last thing I remembered as I passed into unconsciousness was especially the women, because there were women beating him too, was he said the tears of the people beating him falling on his face. Can you imagine that? You're looking up, they're beating your pulp, you think you're going to die, and the people that are killing you begin crying, and the tears fall on their face. And when he woke up, they were nursing him back to health. They were nursing him back to health. And he did recover. And they say, I don't know if there's any way to verify, that every single person in that village became a follower of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is this. You know, it's easy. You've sung it since you were a little fellow, and you've sung it since you were a little girl. Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, I'm not so sure we know. We sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know. You see, that village was told Jesus loves you, but it just kind of went in one ear and what? Out the other. But then a series of remarkable events occurred where he not only told them about a suffering sacrifice Savior, they actually saw it, and something happened supernaturally where finally in their hearts they could really experience God's love and really knew it. I mean knew it experientially. You see the difference? See, the problem for John Mark and for Allison is really the same problem for me, and that is do I really know the love of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? I mean really know it. Do I understand in a supernatural, miraculous way my Father, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit's love deep in my heart? I'm not talking about intellectually or Mark trying to tell me, Ryan, or, or convince me during a time of depression or Joel or, or someone telling me a story and saying, oh, well, here's a Bible. It says Jesus loves you. This I know. I'm, I'm not simply talking about an intellectual declaration. I'm talking about an unbelievable, supernatural Holy Spirit manifestation to where the reality of that love becomes manifest in your heart. You really know it. You'll never be the same again. And that's why Paul prayed many prayers, but this is probably near the top of the list. What he would pray for everyone in this room, more than probably almost anything else, this is what he would probably say if he could only pray one thing for us. Verse 18 of Ephesians 3, I'm praying that somehow you'll be able to comprehend and understand with all believers what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus. And that you would somehow know this love which actually surpasses all knowledge and be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's what he longed for, for them to know that. You know, sometimes it can just be trite when we talk about it, can't it? Or someone says, oh, John Mark, don't you know Jesus loves you? Or Allison, you know, Jesus loves you. Don't you know that? And sometimes even singing or stories. But I'll tell you what, when the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit communicates to you supernaturally in your heart in a way nobody else can but God, and you begin to grow in knowing that love, that'll change your life more than anything in the world. You're really knowing it experientially, the length, the width, the breadth, the height, the beyond comprehension love. 
is becoming alive in your soul. Isn't that what we all want more of? I do. I want God to make that real to me so that I supernaturally know it. Then I can be useful to other people because <laughs> that love will turn me inside out. Amen? Amen? So that's my prayer for all of us. Father, I pray that for John Mark, for Allison, for every one of us in this room, Lord, for Kristen, for Philip, for Joel, for Mark, for Booty, for Sonia, for Madeline, for Candace, for Angela, for those not here. Lord, we're asking, what a great prayer that, that Paul's just crying out, please, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, we need a supernatural revelation where the eyes of our heart are enlightened to know the length, breadth, height, and depth, to know the love beyond knowledge, to really experientially have it grip our inner heart so powerfully that we become consciously aware of this love of our Father Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it changes us from the inside out. Please do this, we ask, we seek, we knock in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a Holy Spirit wisdom, revelation, knowledge, your eyes enlightened today. Amen. Now, you've heard me so many times talk about perfect Jesus, and when I've done it, uh, I always hold up nine fingers and tell you about perfect Jesus, and I break it down into three triplets so you can remember, you know, your perfect creator who had a perfect birth and lived a perfect life, had a perfect cross and a perfect resurrection and a perfect reign and a perfect gospel and a perfect return and a perfect forever, but I'm not going to actually talk about those nine. I got so excited when I realized that in Revelation 1, uh, verses 5 through 9, when it talks about perfect Jesus, it has nine. Nine things it wants you to know about Jesus. Nine also, not that same order I gave you there, but nine declarations about Jesus that if they get in that, your heart will fill you with such strength and joy and transforming power. And so what I want to do, God willing, is talk about five today and then uh, maybe four next uh, Sunday, but we'll just leave it in God's hands, amen? But a great place to start would be to read it, wouldn't it? What a great passage. So this is the holy, holy, holy word of God. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to just read right from the middle of the paragraph because I want us to really focus on these nine about Jesus. So starting in verse 5 when it's talking about Jesus Christ, I just want to read the nine declarations about Jesus. Talk about perfect Jesus. Jesus Christ, number one, the faithful witness. Number two, the firstborn from the dead. Number three, he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Number four, he loves us. Hallelujah. Amen. Number five, he has released us from our sins by his blood. Hallelujah. Number six, he's made us into a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Hallelujah. Number seven, to him belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Say amen to that. Number eight, he is coming. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. And number nine, he is the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Is that not a spectacular picture of perfect Jesus? Amen? Amen, amen. And what you'll actually find if you actually really look through this is almost every one of those phrases comes from Old Testament passages and other passages that are meant to help explain to you what they mean. So what I wanted to talk about is just maybe the first five, if we have the time. If we don't, we'll just get through a few. The, the faithful witness. Jesus is actually called the faithful witness. What do you think of when you think of a faithful witness? What do you think this is a picture of? Yes, and what do you think he's trying to give you a picture of? Why, why use the word witness? What is the passage kind of trying to give you a picture of? What you usually think of. A what now? Yeah, it's like a courtroom. So it really wants you to think of a courtroom kind of experience. And so there is a witness, and what kind of witness do you want? One's going to tell the truth, right? And so what it's saying here is that kind of in this picture that a faithful witness is a person who is called, so to speak, to take the stand and give a testimony and is supposed to tell the truth. Now I want you to think about this. What's Jesus supposed to talk about? Have you ever thought about that? Yes. Madeline, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. He is supposed to talk about his father. He was sent by his father. Uh, in fact, I actually love the Gospel of John because this phrase is repeated over and over and over again, three things, uh, and I'm all, they all begin with W, so I want you to kind of remember them, where Jesus says, I came to speak not my words, but what? My Father's words. So I've come to speak my Father's words to you, not my words, but my Father's words. words. I've come not to do my works, but to do the works of who? My Father. And what's the third one, you remember? It's will, all over John. I've come not to do my will, but to do whose will? My Father. So Madeline, you hit the nail on the head. He wants to reveal to people. He wants to give a testimony, a faithful testimony, so Joel can know the Father's words, the Father's works, and the Father's will, so he can know who? The Father. He wants him to know it. And so Jesus is saying, I have been sent by my Father on a mission to earth. That's why he kept saying to the disciple Philip, Oh, Philip, how long do I have to be with you and you have not come to know me? He goes, Philip, you're, you're saying, show me the Father and it will be enough for me, you? Yeah, that's what he's basically saying to Philip. He's saying, Oh, Philip, I've been with you three years. I've been speaking the Father's words, showing you the Father's works, and doing the Father's will, and you're asking that you want to learn about the Father? You know, Jesus is saying, Yeah, I've been a faithful witness. I've been a faithful witness, and you're exactly right. He wants to testify, declare, make known, and make us understand the words, the works, and the will of the Father, especially so that we can know this Father, that we can be adopted into His family, become a child of God, and can know the Father's love and live in the Father's house, be adopted into the Father's family. The same phrase is actually used in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in two other places. One, to talk about a person, chapter 2, verse 13. 
and it says, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you held fast my name and didn't deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful what? Witness. He was even killed. He was willing to die for me as a faithful witness, Antipas. And the same thing is in chapter 3, verse 14, referring to Jesus himself. It says in chapter 3, verse 14, the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, says this. Jesus is actually speaking about himself. He says, I am a faithful and true witness. It's actually used in Isaiah and Jeremiah, just one example. In Isaiah 8, verse 2, it says, I will take to myself faithful witnesses that can give testimony. See that? Faithful witnesses that can give testimony testimony. He talks about Uriah and Zechariah specifically. But our focus especially is Jesus says to beauty to everyone in this room, I want you to know the Father's words, to know the Father's works, and to know the Father's will. I've come to earth to be a faithful witness so that you can know my Father just like I do. And the heart of that Father above everything else is what? To seek and save the lost. He says, I have a Father that loves sinners, that he loves rebels, that this whole world is under the power of Satan and enslaved. Their eyes are blinded, their ears are deaf, their hearts are dead, and they're running at a million miles an hour for eternal hell. And the Father loves dirty, sinful people. And He wants the power of Satan to be broken and for them to know abundant life and to be filled up with everything that's in Jesus forever and ever. What a Father. And so Jesus says, I have come to be a faithful witness so you can know this Father, know His love, know His power, know His deliverance, know His transforming power. That's why I do hate when I see people that are everything they shouldn't be. You know, John Sebastian talked with me today over and over. He said, I'm not coming to church. I'm going to go do uh, uh, some drugs instead because I'm not feeling very well. So John and I have a little talk, and I tell him that, you know, Jesus is much better than anything else he could do doing that. And he said, but I'm in pain, and I need my drugs. And I said, no, I can swear to you, to you John, that, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the love of Jesus can be the best thing you'd ever take hold of than that. And John looks at me and he goes, I know I shouldn't be doing these things, but I just keep doing them. And he says, I know. He says, I know it's wrong. He told me that. He said, I know it's wrong. He needs somebody to love him, to bear witness, right? To testify to him. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do as a witness. I'm trying to tell him about Jesus and tell him about the Father, tell him about the Holy Spirit and tell him about the gospel and tell him there really is a different way. And to tell him that even if he chooses other ways, I'm going to still love him. I'm never going to give up on him. Same thing, I saw Sam again today. He was begging for money. And I said, Sam, you know, I said, who knows? I said, maybe if you come to church, God will give you money. <laughs> yeah, at church. And, he kind of looked at me with kind of a sad look in his eyes and just sat there holding up his sign. Yeah, where people are driving by is begging for money. So we prayed. We put fists together, and I called out the Lord to him, and I prayed for him, and we talked about the cross again. And then he just sat there holding the sign. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't give up on people? He doesn't give up. The Father didn't give up on people. Mm-mm-mm. 
You know, Father says, how many times you hear that passage? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, but rather that they would turn and live. I love it in the second part of Ezekiel when he even repeats it over and over again. Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me and live. Is that not an invitation? Where the God of the universe looks at people bound in their sin and can look at Mar, I mean, uh, can look at you or anyone else and say, I take no pleasure in anyone who dies. I take no pleasure in seeing people's lives ruined. I want people to have abundant life. Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus is the faithful witness, isn't he? Hallelujah. So that you can know the heart of a father who seeks and saves the lost. Huh. He's called also what? What's the second title? Firstborn from the dead. Now, part of that's kind of easy. Well, not necessarily easy to understand, but certainly, what do you think firstborn from the dead means? What now? Certainly, one thing we know it's talking about. What? He was dead, and now he's what? <laughs> so, certainly, the resurrection. Amen? The resurrection. The res I just can't even emphasize again enough how unbelievably glorious and awesome and beautiful and powerful and life-changing the resurrection is, isn't it? Amen. I'm not surprised at all when I read the book of Acts and what they just say over and over and over again when they talk about declaring being witnesses of the gospel. And the number one thing they say they're witnesses, the witness of what? The resurrection. You've heard me say many times, even when I talked to, to Sam, I said, Sam, how can you know that Jesus is true? I said, there are a billion different religions and philosophies in this world, aren't there? How many different religions and philosophies are there? Or if you just talked about some of the big ones we know, you know, like Islam and Hinduism and Christianity and Buddhism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism and Scientology. And we could list a whole lot more, couldn't we? Just unbelievable. I mean, literally, if you ask me how many different religions and philosophies have existed in the history of time from different communities and cultures and peoples and places, can you name them all? No, you can't. And like I said, if you actually read the Old Testament, it deliberately, in the Old Testament, makes this marked contrast of five things. The one true living God who made man and saves sinners. In contrast to the many false dead gods that are man-made and cannot save. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? One true living God who made man and has the power to save a sinner. But there are also many false dead gods, and they are what? They're actually man-made. Do you wonder where religions and philosophies come from, so many of them? Because they're man-made. But one isn't. And how do you know? How do you know? And every single founder of every religion and philosophy that has ever existed in the history of the universe has de Decayed. They have decayed. They died. And their bodies decayed in the ground. But there's one person whose body never decayed, even though it was in the ground three days. Who was that? Jesus. And he rose from the dead to prove with authentic power that he really is what he said he is, really did what he said he did, and that he is the truth, the way, and the life. Yeah. That's why my heart trusts him. His resurrection, that's what captured me. That's what makes me believe the cross is true. That's what makes me willing to lay down my life for him. 
Because it's resurrection, 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 resurrection. Jesus has been raised. We don't celebrate that just at Easter, do we? I celebrate it every second. Wow. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. He really is. He really is risen. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn, the first, that body. That is a resurrected body in Jesus. It is a body made for the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Paul says. You can't inherit the new heavens and the new earth unless your body's changed. So if you're around at the second coming of Christ, first of all, your body has to be transformed because you have to have your new resurrection body for the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? Amen. And he is the firstborn from the dead. But that word firstborn has a second meaning. Do you know what that is? What the second meaning of that word is? It certainly is one of a kind. It actually means, let's actually look, you'll see it if you look in Colossians 1. It's actually used twice in Colossians 1. This is a word that has distinct and powerful meaning. Not just that he rose from the dead, but he's the firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1, verse 15. I'll go ahead and read the whole passage because this is another one of my favorite passages about perfect Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then all of a sudden we see that phrase. He is the firstborn over all creation. Isn't that interesting? So he's the firstborn over all creation. Why? Because by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether a throne, a dominion, a ruler, or an authority. Everything has been created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus. Then it goes on to say, and he, Jesus, is before all things. Wow. And in him, Jesus, everything holds together. And, you see how he, he's just so excited about Jesus, he can't help telling you everything he can think of about Jesus. And he is the head of his body, the church. And he is the beginning. And here it is again, firstborn from the dead. Exact same phrase from Revelation. Firstborn from the dead, so that what? He might have first place in everything. The word the firstborn refers to the preeminence. The absolute, like you said, Sonia, one of a kind. There's no one and no thing like him. So that he can have what place? First place. And nobody or anything else can have that place. First place belongs to Jesus only. Amen. He is the preeminent one, one of a kind. That's what the word holiness means when we sing holy, holy, holy. It means set apart in a class all by yourself so that there's no one and no thing like you. I mean, God is one of a kind, holy, holy, holy. First of all, it doesn't mean purity. We always say that. That's not the first meaning of holiness. The first meaning of holiness is that you are set apart in a class all by yourself so that there's absolutely no one or no thing like you. You are one of a kind, and there's no one else like you. Amen? Holy, holy, holy. And Jesus is the preeminent one. He is set apart in a class by himself. He's not only the first to be raised from the dead. You see that? <laughs> he is in a class all by himself. No one and no thing like Jesus. Hallelujah. He is the preeminent one. No one and no thing like him. Third, 
He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Sam actually asked me this question. We assume people understand the gospel. They don't. They don't. People you ought to. So Sam's talking to me, and I love his honesty. And one of his first questions was he said, Pastor Brian, after Jesus was taken down from the cross and he died, one of his first questions to me was, didn't he decay? That's a fair question, isn't it? Didn't he rot and decay like we would? That's a good question. And then after we talked about the resurrection, he asked another excellent question. He goes, where is he now? Good question, isn't it? He rose from the dead. He says, I don't know what happened after he rose from the dead. We think people know. They don't, they don't read their Bibles. They don't know. He had no idea. He was blown away when I told him that Jesus stayed on earth for 40 days. What? What? I said, yeah, after, after he rose from the dead, it was over a month, 40 days he was walking the earth. And Sam was really interested in that. He goes, well, then what happened? Isn't that just great, the questions? Well, I said, he, he, he ascended because there's a throne in the heavens, which is the throne that only one person has the right to sit in. And when he disappeared from sight and went up to heaven, he took his seat on the throne of the universe, and he's now king of king and lord of lords, and he rules everything, everywhere, every second. He is the king, Sam. He's ruling. Sam goes, wow. I said, yeah, yes, yeah, Sam, wow, wow. Wow, he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Wow, amen? And I don't think there's any place in the Bible that describes that more beautifully than Ephesians 1 that I read in the call to worship. Uh, wow, talk about wow, Ephesians 1, uh, when he says he wants you to know the hope of his calling, the riches of the inheritance. What's the third thing he said he wanted you to know? The power. And then when he describes that power, he uses two R's. It's resurrection power and reigning power. Resur- it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and the same power that what? That Jesus reigns with. Not just the resurrection power, but the reigning power. He wants them to know it. Again, is this something intellectual? No, he's telling Joel, he's saying to Joel, I want you to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and the same power that he reigns from in heaven actually working in your life supernaturally. So that power is working for you and in you and through you. Wow, isn't that a wow? That is a wow. Yeah, it does. It blows me in mind. When I start to think, you mean the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and the same power that he rules with in heaven can be in me? Wow. Listen to the prayer. He prays that. I'm praying that you will know. That's why he keeps saying that. I'm praying that you will know the surpassing greatness of His power to every single person who believes. This is in accordance with the working of the strength of God's might, the power He brought about in Jesus when He raised Him from the dead. Does it stop there? No, because it's not just resurrection power, it's what? Reigning power and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenlies far above every rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every single name that is named, not only now in this age right now, but in the age to what? Come. He is ruling. You know, we sang that song. What a great song. How great is our God. And time is in his hands. You remember that phrase? Uh, I'd never actually had that happen when I've sung that song, but when you sang it today, 
And this came to my heart so powerfully. That's why I know it came from the Holy Spirit. When you were singing, time is in his hand, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, all my times are in his hand. I was so excited. Not only is time in his hand, but my times are in his hand. Yeah, I am so thankful. I know I make mistakes, don't we all? But, you know, do you know what joy it gives me to know that Jesus rules my life? Oh, it makes me sing and dance. Jesus rules my life. Angela doesn't. Chance doesn't. No one else doesn't. Jesus rules everything, everywhere, every single second in my life. Everything. I just get so excited about that. And that's love, 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 love. He rules my life. God, isn't that the best news in the world? Faith doesn't rule my life or bad luck or my boss or anything. Present doesn't rule my life. Country doesn't rule my life. There's one person on the throne of the universe. He rules my life. Isn't that the best news in the world? Sam wants to know, where's Jesus? Oh, Sam, oh, Sam, I've got news for you. He wasn't only crucified for you. He wasn't only raised for you. He reigns for you. Wow, Sam, he reigns for you. He's taken the throne of the universe and he rules everything, everywhere, every second for his glory and your good. Wow, everything's for my good? Yes, the Bible says so. God can't not love. <laughs> he can't not love. Isn't that great? Everything he does is for my good. He can't not love me and can't not help me and can't not bless me and can't not take care of me and can't not watch over me. I was even reading, don't you love? I, I memorize scriptures so God can put them in my heart. And boy, when I'm up in the mountains, I say Psalm 121 a thousand times. Lift up your eyes to the hills of the mountain. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to sleep. I would say, I looked at it my foot while I'm hiking. He will not allow your foot to sleep. He who keeps you does not slumber. I thought about that. Wow, he never sleeps so I can. <laughs> he who keeps you never slumbers. Behold, the Lord who keeps all his people never slumbers or sleeps. Wow, that's 24-7 keeping. He keeps me. Wow. Keeps me going out, keeps me coming in. He keeps me from evil. He keeps me all the days of my life. He keeps me forever. Jesus is my keeper. He's on the throne ruling. Isn't that the best news in the world? Wow, he's ruling my life. So when you read that, that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, that means that he's ruling everything, everywhere, every second. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Did you catch what Paul wanted to emphasize in Ephesians 1? That that's already happening when? Now. In this age, now. And in the one to come. I love the next phrase. He put everything. Don't you love this next phrase? He put everything in submission under Jesus' feet. Wow. It's all under Jesus' feet, right? And gave him as the head over what? Everything. Head over everything to his church. And we're his body and he's filling us up with his glory. Hallelujah. Wow. 
I mean, it doesn't look like it, does it? We're in a world with so much pain and so much heartache and so much tragedy and so much insanity and so much nonsense. And I know my Father knows how to weep over that, and so does Jesus and so does the Holy Spirit. But that's not because he's not in control. You got that? He's not weeping because of weakness, is he? No. He's not weeping because of weakness. So you ask me how can I put it all together, the sovereignty of God and all this, I don't need to. I finally quit trying to do that years ago. I don't need to put it together. I don't need to. I just know Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Good enough for me. And when it makes no sense to me, I still trust him because I know he rules everything everywhere every second for his glory and my good. And when there are things that I can't understand, I know he knows how to weep with those who weep. I know that nobody cares more than he cares. Nobody weeps more than he weeps. But I know his weeping's not weakness, right? I know he rules my life. I get so excited. Sometimes my life makes no sense to me. That's just fine with me. <laughs> Do you think Jesus has to check it all out with me first? <laughs> well, Pastor Brian, I'm really sorry it doesn't make any sense to you. Yeah, that's okay, Jesus. Yeah, daily bread. Give me enough for today, and I'll keep following you. And even when it, isn't that great? I just, I've gotten to cry and joy this more than anything in my life, following Jesus day by day when it makes no sense to me. I don't. Does it have to make sense to you? Mm -mm. Jesus said, "Just follow me, Brian. Just follow me, one day at a time." You'd be amazed when I'm doing when it doesn't make any sense to you. I said, "Thank you, Lord, ruler of all the kings of the earth." I'll mention the next one. We won't uh, talk about it yet, but uh, what a beautiful thing. I just love it. It's in the present tense in Revelation, uh, who loves us. <laughs> you know, I don't know. How, if, do you read your Bible too fast? I don't know about you. Do you just read your Bible too fast sometime when you read? I mean, you're reading Revelation 1, and you're going, Jesus is the faithful witness, the uh, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, can you slow down? To him who loves us. Who, who what? Past, present, and future. Jesus has loved me. Jesus is loving me. Jesus will love me. And I'm not going to go into it right now because we don't have the time. But isn't it great to know that this power that's ruling is love? Jesus loves me. He really does. Jesus loves me. This I do know. Bible tell me so. I believe it and feel it more and more in my life. I hope you all do. I hope you do. One of the things that's helped me grow more and more as a believer recently is I know how much my God loves me. I've learned that more and more and more. I'm growing in knowing that and understanding how much my Father loves me, how much Jesus loves me, and how much the Holy Spirit loves me. I'm understanding more of that love, and I get so excited to understand He really loves me. Jesus loves me. My Father loves me. Say it out loud sometimes. Don't you just need to say it? The Holy Spirit loves me. Jesus loves me. My Father loves me. Yes, he loves me. Yes, he loves me. You know, when Satan comes with his lie, shout it to the mountaintops. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Don't you need to hear it? I do because I'm so quick to doubt, to doubt and to allow. And, and that's just number four. I mean, we've got a long way to go, just nine spectacular things. So we'll stop there. Jesus loves us. Amen. The cross. Lay down his life for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, I do thank you for the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of your love, Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit's love. Do you please supernaturally communicate that to us, looking especially at the cross? 
laying down your life for us, choosing to leave heaven, choosing to be denied, to be betrayed, to be mocked, choosing to have a whole nation reject you, choosing to have your disciples reject you, choosing to have everybody reject you, choosing to have the weight of the infinite punishment that would have come upon my soul and body in hell forever to all come upon your soul and body on the cross. Choosing to embrace that, wow! What greater love could anyone have? Lay down your life for your friends and you didn't just die for us. You died to take all the punishment for all our sins for all time on your body and soul. And you died to release us from our sins by your blood so that we could know abundant life forever. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Such great, powerful, holy, unfailing, never-ending love. We are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.